Part six of Adaptation by Mac Riddles. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part six. Leonid Plekhanov, Joseph Chessman, Barry Watson, Khan Reef, and several of the Toulon army staff stood on a small knoll overlooking a valley of several square miles. A valley dominated on all sides but the sea by mountain ranges. Reef and the three earthlings were bent over a military map depicting the area. Barry Watson traced with his finger. There are only two major passes into this valley. We have this one. They dominate that. Plekhanov was scowling, out of his element and knowing it. How many men has Minor been able to get together? Watson avoided looking into the older man's face. Approximately half a million, according to Hawking's estimate. He flew over them this morning. Half a million? Including the nomads, of course, Joe Chessman said. The nomads fight more like a mob than an army. Plekhanov was shaking his massive head. Most of them will melt away if we continue to avoid battle. They can't feed that many men on the countryside. The nomads in particular will return home if they don't get a fight soon." Watson hid his impatience. "'That's the point, sir. If we don't break their power now in a decisive defeat, we'll have them to fight again later. And already they've got iron swords, the crossbow, and even a few muskets. Given time they'll all be so armed. Then the fat'll be in the fire.' "'He's right,' Joe Chessman said sourly. Reef nodded his head. We must finish them now, if we can. The task will be twice as great next year. Plekhanov grumbled in irritation. Half a million of them and something like forty thousand of our Toulons. Reef corrected him. Some thirty thousand Toulons, all infantrymen, he added, and eight thousand allied cavalry, only some of whom can be trusted. Reef's ten-year-old son came up next to him and peered down at the map. "'What's that child doing here?' Plekhanov snapped. Reef looked into the other's face. "'This is Toller Second, my son. You from First Earth have never bothered to study our customs. One of them is that a Khan's son participates in all battles his father does. It is his training.' Watson was pointing out features on the map again. It will take three days for their full army to get in here," he added with emphasis. In retreat, it will take them the same time to get out. Plekhanov scowled heavily. We can't risk it. If we were defeated, we have no reserve army. We'd have lost everything. He looked at Joe Chessman and Watson significantly. We'd have to flee back to the pedagogue. Reeve's face was expressionless. Barry Watson looked at him. We won't desert you, Reef. Forget about that aspect of it," Reef said. I believe you, Barry Watson. You are a soldier. Dick Hawking's small biplane zoomed in, landed expertly at the knoll's foot. The occupant vaulted out and approached them at a half-run. Hawking's called as soon as he was within shouting distance. They're moving in! Their advanced cavalry units are already in the pass. When he was with them, Plekhanov rubbed his hand nervously over heavy lips. He rumbled, The cavalry, eh? 
Listen, Hawkins, get back there and dust them. Use the gas. The pilot said slowly, I have four bullet holes in my wings. Bullet holes? Joe Chessman snapped. Hawkins turned to him. By the looks of things, McBride's whole unit has gone over to the rebels, complete with their double-barreled muskets, a full thousand of them. Watson looked frigidly at Leonid Plekhanov. You insisted on issuing guns to men we weren't sure of. Plekhanov grumbled. Confound it! Don't use that tone of voice with me. We have to arm our men, don't we? Watson said, Yes, but our still comparatively few advanced weapons shouldn't go into the hands of anybody but trusted citizens of the state, certainly not to a bunch of mercenaries. The only ones we can really trust even among the Tulans are those that were kids when we first took over, the ones we've had time to indoctrinate. The mistake's made. It's too late now, Plekhanov said. Hawkins, go back and dust those cavalrymen as they come through the pass. Reef said, It was a mistake, too, to allow them the secret of the crossbow. Plekhanov roared, I didn't allow them anything. Once the crossbow was introduced it was just a matter of time before its method of construction got to the enemy. Then it shouldn't have been introduced, Reef said, his eyes unflinching from the Earthman's. Plekhanov ignored him. He said, Hawkins, get going on that dusting. Watson, pull what units we already have in this valley back through the pass we control. We'll avoid battle until more of their army has fallen away. Hawkins said with deceptive mildness, I just told you those cavalrymen have muskets. To fly low enough to use gas on them I'd get within easy range. Point one, this is the only aircraft we've built. Point two, McBride is probably dead, killed when those cavalrymen mutinied. Point three, I came on this expedition to help modernize the Texcocans, not to die in battle. Plekhanov snarled at him. Coward, eh? He turned churlishly to Watson and Reef. Start pulling back our units. Barry Watson looked at Chessman. Joe? Joe Chessman shook his head slowly. He said to Reef, Con, start bringing your infantry through the pass. Barry, we'll follow your plan of battle. We'll anchor one flank on the sea and concentrate what cavalry we can trust on the hills on the right. That's the bad spot. That right flank has to hold. Plekhanov's thick lips trembled. He said in fury, Is this insubordination? Reef turned on his heel, and, followed by young Toller and his staff, hurried down the knoll to where their horses were tethered. Chessman said to Hawkins, If you've got the fuel, Dick, maybe it'd be a good idea to keep them under observation. Fly high enough, of course, to avoid gunfire. Hawkins darted a look at Plekhanov, turned, and hurried back to his plane. Joe Chessman, his voice sullen, said to Plekhanov, we can't afford any more mistakes, Leonid. We've had too many already. He said to Watson, Be sure and let their cavalry units scout us out. Allow them to see that we're entering the valley, too. They'll think they've got us trapped. They will have, Plekhanov roared. 
I countermand that order, Watson. We're withdrawing. Barry Watson raised his eyebrows at Joe Chessman. Put him under arrest, Joe growled sourly. We'll decide what to do about it later. By the third day, Miner's Rebel and Nomad Army had filed through the pass and was forming itself into battle array. Rank upon rank upon rank. The Tulan infantry had taken less than half a day to enter. They had camped and rested during the interval, the only action being on the part of the rival cavalry forces. Now the thirty thousand Tulans went into their phalanx and began their march across the valley. Joe Chessman, Hawkins, Roberts, Stevens, and Conreef, and several of his men again occupied the knoll which commanded a full view of the terrain. With binoculars and wrist radios from the pedagogue, they kept in contact with the battle. Below, Barry Watson walked behind the advancing infantry. There were six divisions of five thousand men each, twenty-four-foot cerises stretched before their sixteen-man deep line. Only the first few lines were able to extend their weapons. The rest gave weight and supplied replacements for the advancing line's casualties. Behind them all the Tulan drums beat out the slow, inexorable march. Cogswell, beside Watson with the wrist radio, said excitedly, "'Here comes a cavalry charge, Barry. Reef says right behind it the nomad infantry is coming in.' Cogswell cleared his throat. "'All of them.' Watson held up a hand in signal to his officers. The phalanx ground to a halt received the charge on the hedge of Ceresus. The enemy cavalry wheeled and attempted to retreat to the flanks, but were caught in a bloody confusion by the pressure of their own advancing infantry. Cogswell, his ear to the radio, said, "'Their main body of horse is hitting our right flank.' He wet his lips. "'We're outnumbered there something like ten to one. At least ten to one.' "'They've got to hold,' Watson said. Tell Reef and Chessman that flank has to hold. The enemy infantrymen in their hundreds of thousands hit the Toulon line in a clash of deafening military thunder. Barry Watson resumed his pacing. He signaled to the drummers who beat out another march. The phalanx moved forward slowly and slowly went into an echelon formation, each division slightly ahead of the one following. Of necessity, the straight lines of the nomad and rebel front had to break. The drums went boom-ah, 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 boom. The Tulan phalanx moved slowly, obliquely across the valley. The hedge of spears ruthlessly pressed the mass of enemy infantry before them. The sergeants paced behind, shouting over the din. Dress it up. You there. You've been hit. Fall out to the rear. I'm all right, the wounded spearman snarled, battle-lust in his voice. Fall out, I said, the sergeant roared. You there. Take his place. The Tulan phalanx ground ahead. One of the sergeants grinned wanly at Barry Watson as his men moved forward with the preciseness of the famed rockets of another era. It's working! he said proudly. Barry Watson snorted. Don't give me credit. It belongs to a man named Philip of Macedon. 
a long ways away in both space and time. Cogswell called. Our right flank cavalry is falling back. Joe wants to know if you can send any support. Watson's face went expressionless. No, he said flatly. It's got to hold. Tell Joe and the Khan it's got to hold. Suggest they throw in those cavalry units they're not sure of, the ones that threatened mutiny last week. Joe Chessman stood on the knoll, flanked by the Khan's ranking officers and the balance of the Earthmen. Nat Roberts was on the radio. He turned to the others and worriedly repeated the message. Joe Chessman looked out over the valley. The thirty-thousand-man phalanx was pressing back the enemy infantry with the precision of a machine. He looked up the hillside at the point where the enemy cavalry was turning the right flank, given cavalry behind the two-land line, and the battle was lost. "'Okay, boys,' Chessman growled sourly. "'We're in the clutch now. Hawkins?' "'Yeah,' the pilot said. "'See what you can do.' Use what bombs you have, including the napalm. Fly as low as you can in the way of scaring their horses," he added sourly, avoiding scaring ours if you can. "'You're the boss,' Hawkins said, and scurried off toward his scout-plane. Joe Chessman growled to the others. "'When I was taking my degree in primitive society and primitive military tactics, I didn't exactly have this in mind. Come on.' It was the right thing to say. The other Earthmen laughed and took up their equipment. Submachine guns, riot guns, a flamethrower, grenades, and followed him up the hill toward the fray. Chessman said over his shoulder to Reef, "'Con, you're in the saddle. You can keep in touch with both Watson and us on the radio.' Reef hesitated only a moment. There is no need for further direction of the battle from this point. A warrior is of more value now than a Khan. Come, my son." He caught up a double-barreled musket and followed the earthman. The ten-years-old Toller scurried after with a revolver. Nat Roberts said, "'If we can hold their cavalry for only another half-hour, Watson's phalanx will have their military pressed up against the pass they entered by. It took them three days to get through it, and they're not going to be able to get out in hours. That's the idea, Joe Chessman said dourly. Let's go. End of part six.